church, how we doing? Hey, come on, let's make some noise for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Come on, you can do better than that. Lift it up. There we go. Let's keep that going and say hi to all of our campuses, everybody watching right now, specifically our three God Behind Bars campuses. Show some love. And last but not least, can we show some love for our senior pastor, our fearless leader, Sean Johnson. If he loves me at all, he's watching this right now. So Sean, we love you, man. We'll see you soon. You guys look excited to be in church. All right, I like that. I'm excited to preach. I see a lot of smiles in here, which is good. To quote Butter the Elf, we love smiling. Smiling's our favorite. And uh, as Christians, sometimes we just need to remind our faces that Jesus is back from the dead. Amen? There we go. Welcome to the final week of our Bricks and Stones series, a sacrificial series for our children's children. And some of you, I know you're excited because you know firsthand the power that follows sacrifice and generosity. And I love that. I'm so excited for that. But we are, like, let's just be honest, we're all across the spectrum in here when it comes to this specific topic. Because some of you are like, bro, I invited a friend for the first time today. Like, come on, right? Or maybe you're thinking, surprise, surprise, the church is talking about church. Or, or maybe you're thinking, how dare you ask me to even consider writing a check in, a, in an end of your offering, you have no idea my financial situation and you're absolutely right, I don't. And if I can just free all of us up right now at every single one of our locations, there is no pressure to participate in this in any way, shape or form because God does not need your money. This church does not need your money. And so if you can feel just like the pressure release right now, then what that will do is that will free me up to unapologetically preach this the way I feel convicted to preach it because I believe it with all my heart. And there's a reason generosity is a pillar of this church. And I would love to share that with you today. I lead our location in Austin and we are, we are just finishing up our very first year. And I am well aware the only reason we've gotten to do everything we've gotten to do is because you guys gave in an offering about exactly a year ago. And, and so this is real life change and I've seen it firsthand with my own two eyes. And I think that's why I'm so passionate because I know what this does for the kingdom of God. I know what it's like to be a shareholder in life change. And so if you feel passion from me today, that's why. And if the topic of money makes you feel uncomfortable, for instance, maybe you feel like you're back in eighth grade health class during sex education week right now and you're like squirming in your chair, do yourself a favor and just block money out of your mind because this series today is about way more than just money. Today is about legacy for our church. Today is about worship for our church. And today is about building something that will outlast every single one of our lives and we don't need a thing from you. And so I wanna simply just release the pressure and say there is no guilt or no condemnation. And I want to simply just invite you to watch a church today. 
I wanna invite you to watch a church and let it build your faith. Watch, watch a church full of, of real people with burdens and bills to pay just like you and pressures and lack just like you do something that seems impossible and maybe illogical and maybe even slightly stupid if God's not real, amen? You are not sitting in an ordinary church on an ordinary day. You are sitting in Red Rocks Church in an hour, in a day, in a season where we are drawing a line in the sand and setting a standard for who we will be for the years to come. And I'm excited about it, and you should be too. And we're going to call this message, if you're taking notes, this will be our finest hour. This will be our finest hour. Jesus says this, says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the harvest is ready, Red Rocks Church. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people seem to be more desperate for love than ever before. People are looking for Jesus, whether they realize they're looking for Jesus or not. And I believe that Jesus is gonna begin to become more and more beautiful against the backdrop of the world. And I believe that we are entering into a decade that will be marked by tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people coming to know Jesus in our church alone, amen? Do you believe that? The harvest is ready. The workers are few. But what if the resources weren't? What if this was our finest hour? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I thank you that you're the center of this church and you always will be. Jesus, I pray that today makes you famous and glorifies you. God, I pray against any condemnation or fear or guilt in the name of Jesus. Would those things be gone? They're nothing but a waste of our time. I pray that church would be enjoyed today. I, I pray that people would walk out of here built up and not beat down. I pray people would walk out of here encouraged and challenged. I, I, I pray for rest and joy and peace for any souls listening to this right now who haven't felt those things in far too long. I pray for a spirit of generosity to fall on every one of our locations. I pray that you would dare us and challenge us in our sacrifice. Jesus, today we put our treasure where our faith is. Today, maybe for the first time, some of us get off the bench and into the game. Jesus, today we take our resources to build your kingdom. Jesus, I pray that your hand would continue to be on Red Rocks Church in a powerful way moving forward. Thank you for all we have. It is our privilege and delight and honor to sacrifice. We love you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's get serious right away. I'm gonna count to three. And when I do that, I would love for you to shout out your favorite breakfast cereal. Does that sound good? You need a second to think? Take two seconds. Favorite breakfast cereal. On three, here we go. One, two, three. Frosted Flakes, Lucky Charms. This is a smart church. Not bad, guys. If you said grape nuts, kindly leave right now. Here's another question. Is cereal better for breakfast or for dinner? Dinner. dinner. I agree. Breakfast, dinner. 
Theologians have debated this for centuries, and they can't agree on that either. Surprise, surprise. So I have a few, uh, a, a few cereals tied for first place. Lucky Charms, obviously. And then the second uh, is a little bit more unexpected. My favorite cereal combination is actually regular Cheerios, okay, with, with dark chocolate, frozen chocolate chips sprinkled on top and ice cold milk. This has been my favorite snack since I was 15 years old. Does this sound good to anybody? Is anybody like, man, I'll try, you, that sounds good to you. You know I'm bringing this to you right now. Oh, Christmas come early because cereal is better when you get to share it, amen? The joy multiplies when you sacrifice. That's good, pastor. Who said that? You're right, it is good. Make some noise for this sermon illustration. Those need to be frozen, and the milk needs to be ice cold. DM me. Let me know what happens. Guys, how does, uh, how does Reese eat her cereal? With her spoon. That's not even good. That, that's not worth a clap. I agree. This, this is not going well. Guys, I prayed a dangerous prayer a couple weeks ago. I, I prayed, I asked God for, uh, for more sermon stories, all right? And some of you are giggling right now because you know from listening to them, sermon stories do not come cheaply. Like, they don't come without a price. See, like, they usually involve you getting pepper sprayed in the face or rescued from a riptide or, like, some kind of near-death experience. And so I asked God. That's how desperate I was. And so I asked God for sermon stories, and he actually let me off the hook. He let me off easy this time because uh, my son, Will, he's about a year old, and Will loves Cheerios just as much as I do. He's truly a baby after his father's own heart which does my heart so much good. But what I appreciate even more than his Cheerio passion is his Cheerio generosity. Because the day after I prayed this prayer, I get up early with Will, because I'm a sacrificial husband, and we're doing breakfast, and I put him in his high chair, and I walk up with my box of Cheerios to his high chair, and I sprinkle just a random amount of Cheerios on his high chair tray, and I look down, and lo and behold, there's exactly... 10 Cheerios. And then Will picks up his first Cheerio and hands it back to me. And I go, are you kidding me? Did my son, did my child just give me back literally his first 10%? Did he just return his first 10% to his father? This is... This is new level kind of stuff. And so begins my stereotypical pastor 18-year journey of using my son for every sermon illustration I'll ever do from this point on. And so just, just be ready. You've been warned. But let's talk about the Bible. Dear Lord, what kind of church is this? All right, we'll talk about the Bible. I'll do a little teaching really quick. You've probably heard the word tithe. We should have bleeped it out because it's kind of like a a cuss word in 2019. But tithe was actually around before the Old Testament law was written, and it was talked about by Jesus, and it means tenth. And the Bible says that God asks for our first tenth, not our last, our first chariot, amen? Not our final chariot. This is where we get the term first fruits because nobody ever looked at their budget at the very end of the month and was like, oh my gosh, I've got exactly 10% left over to give God. 
We don't serve a holy God our leftovers. We give God our best. And now let me answer the question you are inevitably asking yourself. If he's God, does he really need my money? Absolutely not, okay? One of the best things about our God is he does not need any of us, you guys. We have a God who wants us in every way, shape, or form. God does not need your paycheck any more than I need one of Will's Cheerios, okay? I've got plenty of Cheerios. I'm doing fine. All the Cheerios belong to me. I don't need another one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He does not need your money. However, for whatever reason, God uses the giving of money or generosity to accomplish two things, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Generosity equals freedom for you and funding for his kingdom. Freedom for you and funding for his kingdom. So let's talk freedom, freedom for you. This right here is the financial weight that a lot of us are all too familiar with. This is like 120 pounds or something. It's, it's not that difficult for me, but thank you for laughing at that. This is the financial weight. This is this is serving money. This is expecting money to, to make you happy in life, right? This is your fear of your financial future. A lot of us walk around every single day with this. This is living a lifestyle that you can't afford. This is what debt looks like, right? This is, by the way, this is the weight that is, like, it's responsible for more divorces in our country than anything else, which begs the question, if that's true about our marriages, then what is this weight doing with our relationship to God? Jesus talks about money more than anything else. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other, and then tune in right here. You cannot, somebody say cannot. You cannot serve both God and money, and that's important because that's not a commandment, that's an observation about how the universe works. Jesus didn't say, don't serve God and money. Jesus said, guys, you couldn't even if you tried. You can't serve God and money at the same time. You can't hold the financial weight. You can't serve money and lift your hand to heaven at the exact same time, which is why Jesus talked about this in 11 out of his 40 parables, I think. And this is why God, the creator of everything, would love nothing more than to set you free financially like ASAP as possible, like as soon as ASAP, right? This is the one time in the Bible, you guys, that God actually says, try me and test me when it comes to this weight right here. Malachi 3.10, if you don't believe me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The Lord Almighty, God, the creator of everything is saying, hey, try me in this, guys. Test me in this, guys. And the only question I would ask you is why would you wait to try him in this? Like maybe you're like, well, I've got financial problems now. Okay, well then don't you need financial breakthrough like, like now? 
Yeah. Well, then doesn't now sound like the perfect time to try him in this via generosity? The word sacrifice sounds like a really heavy word. Do you want to know in reality what sacrifice actually looks like? It looks like this. Do you want to see that again in slow motion? The word sacrifice seems like a really heavy word. In reality, this is what sacrifice actually looks like. God, my financial problems are now your financial problems. Seriously. God, how about you worry about my money? And the thing is, the creator of everything would love to worry about your money for him. He just only can do so when you offer it to him. And so we sacrifice and say, God, you worry about it. And in the meantime, I'll take my free arm and raise it to heaven and worship, right? With this weight, no longer something that I have to, to carry around. And the news gets even better because, guys, this is not an instruction. This is an invitation. All the more reason to breathe out even more right now. This is not an instruction. This is an invitation. Go straight to the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, Jesus actually never instructs you not to murder. He doesn't. Jesus invites you into a life where you are free of anger in your heart. And how many know living a life free of anger is a higher calling than just don't murder? In the same way, Jesus never instructs the tithe in the New Testament. Rather, he invites us into a life of generosity and sacrifice. And how many know a life of generosity and sacrifice is a higher calling than, hey, just give some money because you should, right? It's a higher level of living. And as one of your pastors, I just need to make sure the only reason you're not living at that level isn't because nobody's called you to that level. Because I've seen firsthand that generosity feels a lot like freedom. And this is an invitation into part of our new covenant that should leave all of us as Christians shouting, can you believe we get to do this? Not, I have to do this. Can you believe I get to live a life of generosity? Can you believe I don't have to spend my days carrying this weight around? Can you believe we have a God who, 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 who has everything and needs nothing from me and yet wants my freedom and wants me to be part of this story? Like, can you? And so just Christian, let me just plead with you, please, for your own sake, for your own life, do not, do not waste your life RSVPing no to the invitation of living a generous life. For your own sake. I've seen it firsthand. For my wife and I, RSVPing yes to a life of generosity means our first and best 10% belongs to God and will always go to our church and sacrifice begins at 11 in every season of our lives. And honestly, when you, just, when you work at a church and you're surrounded by friends who live generously and with open hands, and I specifically think about Sean and Jill, and you just see firsthand how the lives of the generous really does seem to just get larger and larger and larger. Eventually, you just catch on. And I just, I want that for everybody. I think for some of you, you're gonna, you're gonna start tithing 
today. Like you're gonna commit to a lifestyle of tithing and you're gonna set down this weight for the first and what I hope is the final time as you make a grand declaration, God, you worry about my money. I trust you with my best and I'm so excited for you. And I think there's a lot of people in our church who are even ready to take the step beyond that and are gonna sacrifice today above and beyond, like in a way that feels like a punch in the gut. (laughs) I think sacrifice should feel like a punch in the gut. For some people, like I know 50 bucks will do that. For some people, I know $50,000 won't do that. Jesus does not look at an amount. He looks at sacrifice because once again, God does not need your money. God wants your heart. My wife and I wrote a check a few days ago that made our heart kind of skip a beat. And uh, we were talking about, okay, what do we give in this? Um, And I had a number in my heart and I I said it to her hoping she was gonna disagree and be like, "Uh, you're crazy. But she said back to me, she's like, I was thinking the exact same thing. And part of me was like, oh, dang it. But the other part of me was like, okay, this this is from God. And we did it. And like for the past few days, I've been walking around like this. Seriously, because I think sacrifice should kind of make us feel like that, guys. And please, I hope you hear my heart on that. Like, in no way, shape, or form is that like me trying to brag at all. I know people who gave who give way more than that. I, I talk about my weaknesses every single week. I self-deprecate myself in every story I tell. I'm way more comfortable doing that. Please hear my heart. I just feel like God wanted you to know your leaders are going first and aren't asking you to do anything that we're not doing on our own. And I've seen firsthand how powerful this can be in my, this, this has been in my own life. And God's just like, you need to get over yourself and share that so I can set some other people free financially as well. Hear my heart. I want you to experience freedom, not write a check to Red Rocks Church. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit adrenaline rush of funding the kingdom of God, not just put some cash in a basket because you feel like you're supposed to. God does not need your money. This is about something so much bigger than Red Rocks Church. It always has been and it always will be and I'll prove it to you. If you don't trust this church, I completely understand. I'm just asking you, don't let that keep you from generosity this week. Go to compassion.com. Go to Compassion.com and for $38 a month, 38 bucks, you guys, a month, you will send a kid in a third world country to school every day and fill their belly. And you will walk in a little bit more freedom and you will experience what it feels like to fund the kingdom of God. Go to FlatIronsChurch.com and give your end of year offering to that church. And I'm not kidding. That was the church I went to in college. It's the real deal kind of church, very kingdom-minded. They are making the same heaven as us more crowded, and they are killing it right now. And if you gave your check to them, that would be good seed going into very, very fertile ground. This is not about Red Rocks Church. It never has been, and it never will be. This is about freedom for you and funding for the kingdom. God has got Red Rocks. He's done nothing but show off and prove that to us for 15 years. This is about being part of something bigger. This is about legacy. 
This is about our children's children. The harvest is plentiful, we just read, but the workers are few. But what if, you guys, what if the resources were not? Ask any pastor in this country, by the way, over the age of 60, and they will all tell you that for decades, seeds have been sown, and we are truly living in a harvest season right now. The harvest is plentiful right now. And then after you talk to that pastor, go find any farmer and ask him about harvest season, and that person will tell you that harvest season is the season that requires the most sacrifice. The corn's not gonna pick itself, amen? Any farmers in the room? Probably not. I did the research though. The corn's not gonna pick itself. It turns out, you guys, it's during harvest season that you wake up the earliest and go to bed the latest. And I am telling you, this decade that is coming up on us, Jesus will get more and more beautiful and more and more intriguing to millions of people in our country who never thought in a billion years that he would. And the church, the local church, is God's plan A for facilitating that. We are God's plan. We are the the storytellers of the gospel. We are the goers and the sharers. We are the funders. We are the resourcers. We are the builders. We are the workers. We are the church of Jesus Christ, the only organization that exists for its non-members, aka the field that we've been given that is ready and ripe with harvest. The workers are few, but what if, you guys, what if the resources weren't. Can I show you why we sacrifice? Can I show you who we sacrifice for? Can I, can I show you our cultural moment? Can I show you our cities? Can I show you Denver and Austin and Brussels? Can I, can I show you our correctional facilities? Can I talk to you about our, our grocery stores and our homes and our schools? Can I show you the generations of our field? I would love to. I would love to right now. Let's have some, some generational fun. Nerd out with me just for three minutes if you don't mind. Generation X, born between 19... 65 and 1980. Where are my Gen Xers? Let me see you. There we go. Gen Xers, 1965 to 1980. Before them, the baby boomers. Before them, the silent generation. And can I just say, being old is not an age thing, it's a spirit thing, amen? All right. These generations, Gen X, baby boomers, the silent generation, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here, so just go with me, but these generations grew up in what we will call apple pie America, apple pie America. And so it was normal to be a Christian. Faith was everywhere, a church on every corner. We kind of glamorize these days, right? Oh, times were simpler, the pace was slower, uh, morality was higher, there were blockbusters. People trusted the government. That was cool, right? (laughs) Then millennials happen, 1980 to 1995. I was born right smack in the middle. Where are my millennials at? High and proud. There we go. We are called the bridge generation because never before in history has culture changed as quickly as it did while we were growing up. 
a bridge generation, one foot here, one foot here. So we, we have one foot in apple pie America. That's where we grew up, right? So we have a memory of, of church, like church being normal and faith just being a normal thing, right? A home phone, you had one of those at home? DVDs were like this crazy cool thing. Jurassic Park looked real, right? We watched Boy, like Boy Meets World TV shows that like taught morality. Who's got Disney Plus going through that right now? There we go. So one foot here, bridge generation at the very same time, now we live in the very de-churched post-Christian world, okay? So here's where I'm going. Generation Z comes after the millennials born between 1996 and 2010, and Generation Z is born into a world where faith is in decline, born in, like they are, they are not the de-churched, they are the unchurched. Does that make sense? Born completely in a post-Christian world. So what does that mean? Here's where I'm going with this. This means for millennials and older, millennials and older, we have something that Tim Keller would call the Jesus haunt. So we might run from God, but the memory of God haunts us in the best way possible. So we might run from Jesus or run from our faith or run from the church, but we remember it. So we can run back at any moment we want to. This is a lot of our stories. This is the story, like, this is prodigals coming home. This is why our church exists right here, the prodigal son story. The prodigal son was born at home in his father's house, right? And then he asks for his inheritance early and runs away to a quote-unquote far-off land and squanders his inheritance on sinful living until he hits rock bottom and the Bible records a beautiful moment where he comes to himself while having dinner with literal pigs and he remembers home. So he was, he was born home, he left home, but he remembered home, so he ran back home. Guys, do you understand? Do you understand that Generation Z is the first generation to be born with no memory of home? No memory of home. Born completely in the far off land with no Jesus haunt. I realize that and I think, man, that is why we sacrifice as a church for our children's children to continue to build churches in the far off land so that hundreds of thousands of desperate prodigals who are searching for something with no Jesus haunt can wander into a church that you sacrifice to help build and rendezvous with the creator of the universe. You guys, this is why we are generous. The field is ready and the workers might be few, but what if, what if the resources weren't? Could you imagine the churches we can continue to build? Like if you went home and you prayed and you decided to commit to a life of generosity and sacrifice, can you imagine your legacy? Could you imagine what you could be part of? Could you imagine the freedom that you could walk in? Not just not having to carry the financial weight of money around with you, but having ownership in the kingdom of God? 
and the passion that you'd feel having life change, like being a shareholder in life change, knowing that your generosity is literally the reason that some people are, are having their eternal destination saved. Like what you could be part of because ready or not church the harvest is here this is the field that we've been given and my question for you is do you see the problems or do you see potential worth sacrificing for I see potential worth sacrificing for I believe this will be our church's finest hour Apollo 13 I'll finish right here I conclude right here 70% 70% of your audience re-engages upon the use of the word conclusion. <laughs> Once again, I shall conclude with this. Apollo 13 is called the successful failure because they never made their mission to the moon, but they got all three men back alive despite the fact that half their spaceship exploded in space on day three of a seven-day journey. And hundreds of people in Houston at the command center worked tirelessly to get these three men home. And they didn't know it was going to work up until the very end. And there's a point in the movie, if you haven't seen Apollo 13, that's your homework is to go watch it. I cry every time. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. There's a point towards the end where the command module with the three men is about to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. And this is the climax. This is when they find out, is this going to work or is it not? And in Houston, at the command center, there are two guys having a conversation about all the problems and everything that could possibly go wrong. And they're saying, oh, the heat shield is cracked. The parachutes are three blocks of ice. They haven't been heated in space. There's a, there's a typhoon warning where they're re-entering. The trajectory's off. And then one of the guys says, and I quote, this will be the worst disaster NASA has ever experienced. And what they don't know is a man named Gene Kranz, the NASA flight director, is standing right in front of them, hears them, and turns around and very calmly says, with all due respect, gentlemen, I believe this will be our finest hour. See, I think we can be tempted to look at the church or look at our field or look at the world and, and see all the problems. Look at the millennials. Look at Generation Z. Look at the fact that 70% of young Christians lose their faith their first year in college. Look at the rise of the nuns and people who want no religious affiliation whatsoever. Look at the, the second wave of angry atheism. Look at the watering down of truth in our culture. Look at the morality decline. Look at social media and the loneliness epidemic, the decline of social skills, and the very fact that faith in the United States of America is decreasing right now. This could be, this could be the worst era the church has ever experienced. And can I just say, with all due respect, I believe this will be the church in America's finest hour. I don't see problems. I see potential worth sacrificing for. I love our field that Jesus has given us. I love our cultural moment. I love getting to be a Christian in 2019 in this country. I love the younger generation. I love the potential and opportunities that I see. I love the future of the church. 
And I believe this will be our finest hour. One of my pet peeves is when well-meaning Christians will tell me, oh, I fear for the world that your one-year-old son is gonna have to grow up in. And while I get it, I get it. I also wanna say, with all due respect, I believe my son is gonna grow up in the church during its finest hour with all my heart. Guys, Red Rocks Church, as a family, we've been through a lot in the last couple years. We've seen ups, we've seen downs, we've seen some storms and trials, and it can be tempting to see the problems and begin to panic, but with all due respect, I believe this is gonna be our church, Red Rocks Church's finest hour. I believe it's seasons like this where we get to decide who we really are. These are the seasons that determine who we will really be. And I believe, call me optimistic, but I believe the best really is yet to come. And I believe offerings and sacrifices like what we're about to make determine who we are choosing to be for the decades to come. We have the privilege of standing in a very defining moment for the history of the church. And hundreds of years from now, when historians look back and they write about this era of the church, what do you think they're gonna say? I'll tell you what I think they're gonna say. I think they're gonna tell stories about our sacrifice. I think they're gonna tell stories about how we didn't back down how we didn't protect ourselves from the world, but rather we sacrificed everything to reach and infiltrate the world. I think they'll tell stories about our faith, our faith and how we risked it all to leap into the unknown, to trust that God really is who he says he is and really will do what he says he's going to do, knowing that this whole Jesus thing is real. He's the only hope for humanity and people are looking for him, whether they realize it or not, amen? I believe this will be the finest hour for the Church of Jesus Christ, the only organization that exists for its non-members. And those non-members are worth sacrificing for. So would you guys stand? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity we find ourselves in right now. Thank you that generosity and sacrifice is an invitation and as we ready ourselves over this next song to give and to sacrifice, I pray, Jesus, that you'd speak to us. I feel there's some people who are still on the fence, still debating, Jesus, I pray you challenge them. I pray, I pray that you dare us in the name of Jesus Christ right now to try you. Nothing great happens or comes without great sacrifice, but the sacrifice is worth it every single time. Every crucifixion is followed by a resurrection and the bigness of that resurrection is monumentally, exponentially more than the crucifixion ever could be. So what does sacrifice look like? Jesus, would this offering be pleasing to you? Would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? We love you so much and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, Amen.